As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Fox 2 presents Hancock and Kelly. Welcome to Hancock and Kelly here on your Sunday morning on Fox 2. We'll start on the left today. Right there is Michael Kelly. Good morning. On the right, John Hancock. Hi there. And I'm stuck in the middle. I'm John Brown. Big story this week, abortion laws around the country suddenly driving the political discussion. Take a listen. Right to live. I truly believe that, and I'm not afraid to say that in front of anyone. Those are the things that I believe, and that's why we're here today, is to protect people that don't have a voice. We have to take it to the streets. The same way we got our Voting Rights Act in the 60s, we took it to the streets, we did civil disobedience. That's what's going to have to happen now. It's really, um, I don't want to be a fear monger, but I do believe that uh, th they're trying to go on a path that will totally dismantle Roe v. Wade, and we have to be vigilant and uh, express our, our concerns on this legislatively and at the grassroots level. All right. Missouri, as you know, one of several states passing restrictive abortion laws caught a lot of people by surprise. John, you're up first on this one. I don't think most people knew that this was even simmering on the legislative side, and all of a sudden, it's it's the big story of the week. Well, and it's going on all over the country, and you've got you've got both sides of the debate. A lot of northeastern states are legalizing very late-term abortions, and you've got a lot of southern states that are making abortion illegal. All of it is really designed, geared, at least on the right, uh, to get a case to the Supreme Court to determine once and for all if Roe v. Wade is constitutional law or not. Uh, and that's where this thing is headed. Yeah, it's an organized effort that the uh, a lot of the right of center folks, pro-lifers, are pushing. Uh, I don't know how this really serves necessarily the political objectives that they're trying to do. When you look at polling, most people, about 50-50, consider themselves either pro-life or pro-choice. But when the question is asked is, should abortion be legal, only 20% of the people think it should be illegal. So this is one of those issues that I don't think it's going to motivate the Republican base in the way that it should. And it's it is especially waking up a lot of women and others in suburban areas who may have sided with the Republicans over the last couple of years to say, wow, they're trying to come after me. This issue's long been a very good barometer of you can almost identify a, a candidate's position on abortion and predict darn near down the line how they're going to feel about everything else. It is a very telling issue, and, it, and it's a controversial issue because you're taking the, the, the cornerstone values of the republic. You think about the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, those unalienable rights. Well, you throw those in a bag and mix them up, and the abortion issue brings all of those concepts into conflict. You've got the, the life conflict, protecting unborn life. You've got people who are upholding the value of liberty, should a woman have that right to choose. And, and you're really putting those foundational values of the Republican conflict with each other. That's why it's such a hot and controversial issue. A lot like, though, a lot of the other wedge issues, if you will, that we're going to be dealing with in 2020. Of course, health care would be one of those. 
Immigration, of course, the president's made that one. Now abortion's into that mix. I would argue that this is a little bit different of an outcome and that there are so many people who may think one way or the other on abortion, but think it ought to remain safe and legal. And what they're trying to do is take away the right of a woman to make a decision. I don't think that plays good politics for Republicans. Like he's saying, the, the, the exemption in this one, or there is no exemption now for even rape or incest in the Missouri bill, very restrictive. Here's what Congressman Kevin McCarthy, who is pro-life, has to say about bills like this. I believe the most precious gift God gives us is life. And I defend my pro-life position for my whole political career. But in my whole political career, I also believed in rape, incest, or life of the mother. There was exceptions. That's exactly what Republicans have <laughs> voted on in this House. That's what our platform says. And I believe that's the point of what um, you find many of us of where we stand. He says a lot about what I'm hearing on talk radio. I'll, I'll come to you in a second on this one because this one's at you. John, this is politically risky because if the courts strike it down, you're left with nothing. And then you've alienated some people who say, wait, you are now saying in rape and incest, you got to carry that baby? This is very risky, I think, for Republicans. Well, and it's also less than one, far less than 1% of all the abortions that are performed uh, in the country. What's, what's about to happen is we're going to have a discussion on the Supreme Court this year, next year, more likely. Uh, whether or not the, the original decision 46 years ago in Roe v. Wade uh, was accurate, is there in the U.S. Constitution a fundamental constitutional right to privacy that covers the ability to have an abortion? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of original constructionists, uh, a lot of conservative jurists don't believe that that right exists. It doesn't. It's not in the Constitution. You have to extrapolate out of the Ninth Amendment and some other amendments to, to get there. Uh, it doesn't mean that abortion is going to be banned by the court. It means that abortion policy is going to go back to the states where it belongs. And I think that state laws, given the ability to pass legislation uh, outside of Roe, I think you'll see more popular um, restrictions on abortion than, than what passed in And Alabama. this may not be the outcome that, I mean, this isn't an engineered act that's happening in a lot of these right-of-center conservative states. This is an outcome they may not well like. Uh, this is an institution that's driven by precedent. This has been a precedent now that's been in for 50 years. And it's very likely that one of these so-called conservative justices may stand for precedent in keeping abortion safe and legal, which could be problematic. In the meantime, we Democrats have a responsibility to point out that it's mainly white males in most of these southern to midwestern states that are taking away a woman's right to choose. There's virtually no female voices in most of these legislatures. But in Alabama, it was a female senator who put forth the bill and a female governor. So I think a lot of, I mean, I, I, I see that, that it's a lot of men, but if you talk to women, they're split evenly just like men are on it, the issue. Look, it, it's, of, a, it's a abortion. very difficult issue for people. And, uh, and it's difficult because it does pit those foundational values against one another. If you believe, as I do, that life is a God-given uh, act that, that it is and that you have an absolute right to life in this country, then you're going to fall on the pro-life side of the debate. Now, where those lines get drawn, uh, I think ultimately elected officials are responsive to their constituencies. And where those lines get drawn, whether there's a rape and incest ex exception, for example, uh, that will work itself out through a legislative process. I think that is more appropriate 
than a constitutional amendment, a guarantee that doesn't exist. One of the interesting things to watch between now and 2020 is where President Trump falls on this issue, because clearly he's evolved on abortion over the years. He went from being pro-choice now to, I guess he considers himself pro-life. Uh, and the president hasn't weighed in on this issue yet, but this is going to be a topic in the 2020 election. Yeah, very quickly, look at this. So I, I had made this list before all this happened. The big issues that I think are going to be there in 2020. Economy, jobs, we knew that one. Healthcare, of course. You had the Mueller report, impeachment, the Trump factor. All of a sudden you have abortion, which wasn't even appearing on the list two weeks ago, is now one of the big issues. Uh, is that going to be one of the, the defining we'll issue? I mean, we'll, we'll see. Uh, certainly, Kristen Gillibrand is trying to make it her cornerstone of her campaign. Uh, abortion has always been a very important voting issue for a small segment of the population on both sides, mm -hmm. uh, on the pro-life side and on the pro-choice side. And uh, whether it becomes more significant to more voters, it could, but I think it well, remains to be seen. Don't safe. you think it becomes more significant this time? Because all the arguments in the past that have come from Republicans throughout the 90s where we're going to make, you know, we're going to deal with this abortion issue, never dealt with it. Now we have real threats that are posing in that people will have to consider. I think that's going to bring suburban women out. You couple that with guns. Republicans are on the wrong sides of those. Well, issues. the conservative side is focused on the last 20 years on, on the so-called popular restrictions, you know, banning late-term abortions, mm -hmm. licensing clinics, licensing the physicians. And, and this, uh, this is a, an all-in pro-life bill that's passing in Missouri and a lot of other states. That's why I say it seems like it came out of nowhere. All right, still to come on Hancock and Ch uh, Kelly, 24 Democrats now in the field. We're going to run out of space on the screen to show all the pictures. So why does the newest candidate feel he's the one who can finally beat Trump? Maybe it's the cool nicknames for president. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for Hancock and Kelly. I don't know why. This story got my attention late in the week. President Trump finally releases financial information. Not exactly what Congress was looking for, though. All right, we found out this week from his annual financial disclosure that he made $479 million last year alone as president. Trump has maintained his interest in the Trump Organization while serving as president in a move that breaks with White House precedent. He also bucked the decades-long presidential practice of releasing personal tax returns by refusing to do so. His earnings come from financial disclosure documents, which report numbers and ranges and are much less specific than a personal tax return. John, I mean, this is this is brilliant. You only report when it looks good on your side, right? When you're t when you're losing a billion, you don't report that stuff. You report a half billion in earnings. Well, he's very proud. He's making Michael Kelly money, and uh, I mean, you, you want the people to know about that. <laughs> but, Michael, well, let's be clear. He may have be reporting a billion, a half billion dollars in earnings, but. More than likely, based on what we know in his previous business practices, he's probably got a billion dollars in losses. Well, the personal finance disclosure forms uh, at the federal level are, are detailed. They're not very detailed at the state level. Yeah. But at the federal level, they're very detailed. And, and you're right, they do disclose ranges. And the fact of the matter is, Donald Trump is very wealthy. He's very successful, and his PFD uh, shows that that's you, the case. You read those talking points well. Yeah. Well done, my <laughs> well, friend. Well, the, the one on the state disclosure is the dumbest thing ever. Do you own stock in this company between $25 and $6 million? <laughs> yeah, somewhere, yeah I'm somewhere in there I, I fall in right. that range. Yeah. All right, the, let's talk about the Democrats here. Yeah. Then there were 24. <laughs> Two dozen Democrats because they had to up the Republicans, right? Now running for the Democratic presidential nomination. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio says Americans want fairness. 
and he doesn't think there's a fair playing field right now for all people. And he believes he's on the right track and that he's the right person to take on President Donald Trump because he's never lost an election. He says he's 10 and 0. And he can come up with funny nicknames too. Listen to this. He likes to give his little nicknames. I'll give him one back. Condon. It says everything you need to know about him. Because he told working people he was going to be on their side, but in fact, he has been on the side of the wealthy and the corporations. He gave them the biggest tax break in the generation. Uh, it's quite clear where his bread is buttered. So I'm going to be very aggressive with this guy because that's the only way to deal with him. All right, who wants to go but first I, on I, this? I, yes, like go a, ahead, John. I'd, I'd, like to, guy, I'd, like to, I'd like to issue a charge to the folks in the control room, Brown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we get a side-by-side -side of Bill de Blasio and Michael <laughs> Kelly? Uh, because my contention is that these two guys are look-alike, separated at birth, and, you know, this guy has zero. He's got as much chance of being president as Michael <laughs> Kelly has a chance. You know, he looks, they look alike. <laughs> I get that, but uh, he's he's maybe the worst mayor that New York's had in uh, two generations. Crimes the lowest that's been in two generations. Oh, things, things are, are going he's, extremely well in New York City. Look, you have good. You can make criticisms you want being left of center, but to criticize his job in New York City, you can't. Terrible. That city's humming, John Terrible. Hancock. And this was a criticism the president used and got put right back at him. Look, Bill De is not going to be the Democratic nominee for president. Correct. But good for him that he's getting in. And what a good-looking guy he is. Yeah, right. Matter of fact, the poll numbers right after he announced, he got booed by Democrats in New York, right? <laughs> the poll numbers show 76% of New Yorkers say he should not run for president. That's New Yorkers. Tell, right tell him about trying to get a taxi cab in New York City. Buddy, the Uber guys would pull up, and then he was in a fight with Uber and speed away from me, and I wound up getting zero star. They all thought I was him. I was like, don't you think I'd have cops with me? <laughs> you know what? Let's go to New York with him. We'll just wear sunglasses yeah. and stand next what? to this yeah. guy and see what happens. The, the other daunting task that Bill de Blasio, and for that matter, all of the Democratic nominees face is Joe Biden. The polling that continues to come week after week about Joe Biden, this is a man who's running away with the Democratic nomination. Now, we got a long way to go, but if he raises money and continues to avoid a major slip-up, this may be over before it gets started. You know who's dissipating into the framework there, Brown? Much to my surprise is our good friend Bernie Sanders. Uh, I mean, he where is this guy? It, it's not, you know, he's got this passionate, but I think small, band of supporters out there, and uh, I've been very underwhelmed by his, he's raising money, but I, I've been very underwhelmed well, by his yeah, okay. campaign effort. Yeah, guys, if you had the picture here, you go ahead and put it up of, of the crop now running. No, Look no, at this. Are. We're running out of space. You have a bunch of, which Repu Democrats like to, well, to make fun of Republicans. You've got a bunch of average white guys on the first row. You've got a good mix on the second row, and you've got the socialists on the third row. So, yeah, you're splitting that vote very, very thin outside of Biden here, Mike. It'll be interesting to see how many of them make it to January in Iowa because, you know, and there's an old adage in politics, no dough, no go. Uh, and there's only five or six of them that are raising any money here. Well, Beto even disappeared. Mayor Pete kind of in the background now. Is it all just because everybody's going to Biden now, you think? Uh, Is that, I mean, everybody's like, okay, this has been fun. It's not going to happen. Put your money on I this. I think thing. everybody's raising money. So there's going to be a couple of challengers to Joe Biden that are going to emerge. We're going to have a three or four portion race that's going to go for a while. But it is clear that it could be Joe Biden's to lose. Yeah, you know, the Democrats historically have not necessarily gone for the winner in their field. Uh, Republicans have tended up, up until, you know, the, the Trump phenomenon in 2016, Republicans tended to coalesce behind the candidate they felt was most electable. Uh, Democrats have a, a much better, bigger tendency to fall in love with somebody. I still think Biden and his track record of running for president is such that I think he's going to dissipate. He'll, he'll have to deal with some stumbles before he locks this thing Very up. Very quickly before we go to break, why get in now? 
I mean, you're going to get lost in that huge screen of people. I mean, there's no reason to get uh, in now. You got no name. Bla- I don't know. And, and, and they're, they're foregoing some what could be fairly decent U.S. Senate candidates, too, in this field of people uh, who are not going to be running for the U.S. I, Senate. I think Donald Trump has gotten in anybody's head that if he can be president, anybody, anybody can, can be president. Hi, I'm the governor of Montana. You may not know me. <laughs> I'm running for president. I mean, that guy, I don't even know. Was that even his state? I heard, I had to look him up. Like, oh, it's are, a state, Brown. Who are you? Yeah. All right. Still to come on Hancock and Kelly, there is a Republican majority on the St. Louis County Council. How'd that happen? It's been a long time since we've said that, but does it even really matter? Heading back to Jeff City right now, Missouri Governor Mike Parson expected to sign a GM incentive package. This is big. State lawmakers are hoping it's going to lead General Motors to expand their plant out there in Winsfield, and that could bring a lot of jobs. It's going to authorize $50 million in tax credits for the expansion and would also give economic development officials the ability to offer tax breaks to other businesses that agree to add jobs. And it would also provide a college scholarship program for adults. Let's just throw that in as well. All right, who wants up first? On I this will. One? All right, go ahead. This is Michael. a good thing, and this is what the state should be doing. These are quality jobs that are going to be coming. They'd be here for a couple of decades. What's ironic to me, though, is this almost didn't pass, and it was because of two state legislators who were from, wait for it, St. Charles County, where the plant was going to be. State Senator Bob Idle, uh, Onder and State Senator Bill Igle. Bill Igle. Both were challenging this. These were quality jobs that are coming to their own county, and they had some other pious concerns. Look, a lot of us are frustrated with uh, that we have to subsidize and deal with uh, subsidies for major corporations to lure jobs, but it is the landscape in which we compete against the other 50 states. Why would you put your head in the sand, especially if you represented St. Charles County? I tell you what, what sticks out to me here is the really masterful job that Governor Parson did he got the GM incentives in his plan, but he also got his workforce development plan, which had been controversial in the legislature. That's included. He also got this fund, you mentioned, John, allowing uh, the Department of Economic Development to go out and, and provide incentives to other businesses. To other businesses. Many, like other, many other states have that provision. Missouri did not. Uh, this is a, a really good example of a governor who has worked well and effectively with the legislature, and, and, he's, and he got some and, wins and, because of it. But that funding, the closing fund is what they called it, yeah. was the very element that the two St. Charles senators True. were arguing against. That's how you compete as a state these days. And these guys, of all people, their own county, their own constituents, trying to torpedo it. There was also a lawmaker from Kansas City who didn't like it, and I was going to play a soundbite, but I could not figure out what he was saying. Did you guys hear that one? No. no. The reason he was against it, and he went, I'm like, do you even understand what? (laughs) Never mind. Friday was the last day in office for St. Louis State Representative Bruce Franks. He resigned to focus on family and his mental health, he says. He told lawmakers he's dealing with depression after losing his best friend to gun violence. He has one year left on his term. A special election could be held this fall to fill the seat. There's also an investigation going on with him about Slate. Who knows what's connected here? But, uh, I mean, he, did, he, got, he got a standing ovation by both sides. I thought that was kind of a cool moment there, Michael. Yep. Yeah, good for uh, Bruce Franks and the story that he's created, and good for him for standing up for mental health. I don't know much about the other stories that are, exist there, but here's a guy who went in as an outsider and is leaving now, having clearly made an impression on his colleagues. Good for Bruce Franks. You know, in the, in the era of term limits, we're seeing fewer and fewer people who, who have young families uh, who are able to serve in the legislature. It's a, it's a huge time commitment, very hard to have a, another source of income. 
And, uh, and ultimately, that's not, uh, that's not good for politics. And I'm sorry to see Bruce go. All right. And for the first time in a long time, Republicans have a majority on the St. Louis County Council. How'd that happen? Well, it came after Sam Page became the county executive, and then Hazel Irby left her job on the council to work in his administration. All right, elections will be held at some point. There's a chance Republicans could take Page's seat, not Herbie, Irby's seat. Does it matter, John Hancock, if Republicans are in charge? Well, of right now, you've got all kinds of kumbaya going on out there. Everybody's getting along in the post-Stanger era. That's going to continue for a while. Uh, Sam Page has got a honeymoon, and he's going to enjoy that honeymoon for some period of time. But it will matter someday. Well, and th this is temporary, right? It's a procedural reason the Republicans have control of the county council. They ought to live it up because it won't ever happen again. All right, still to come on Hancock and Kelly ever. Wow. <laughs> it's time for their final thoughts. People around the world tune in for this one segment. It's time for final thoughts. You are up first today. Interesting thing happened in the last week of the legislative session. The state legislature authorized $70 million to go to the Enterprise Center in downtown St. Louis. That's on heels of the $70 million the Board of Aldermen wound up authorizing this year that's refurbished the Enterprise Center. All of it attracting good tourism dollars to St. Louis. Just interesting, the media had a lot of scrutiny as it related to when the city did this. But when it came to the state, it was virtually unreported. Mm, Funny up. you should mention Enterprise Center, Kelly. I, uh, I learned a new thing the other day, Brown. Oh, boy. Uh, the illegal hand pass. Yes. Uh, I learned what I always thought the illegal hand pass was Kelly at about 1230 in the morning <laughs> at a bar somewhere. But no, it's an illegal move in hockey. You can't uh -huh. pass the puck with your hand. <laughs> but I guess if, if a tree falls on the ice... And no referee sees it. It's a goal. Did it really happen? It's right. Some folks Ooh. call it a lateral, by the way. The illegal hand pass. Ooh, it was a bad call. A horrible call. <laughs> hey, thanks for watching Hancock and Kelly. If you missed any part of the show, download it right there on your smartphone thingy. Search out the words Hancock or Kelly. Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace is up next. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Bye now. Bye now.